there's ever been a more significant time for that song, amen, right now. Seems like we're all walking alone in many ways um, because of the way the virus is and the way the government's requiring us to live. And uh, we're almost walking just with each other as far as married couples or, or you know, family members. And uh, we're, who do we have? Who do we have to walk with us but the Lord? Isn't that true? So um, this is a great time to sing that song and think about that song. If you're, if you're living alone and you feel lonely, you feel all alone, don't forget you have a whole church family out there that loves you and cares for you. And um, you also have Jesus with you and you have God. So uh, sing that song maybe or play it on a radio or something if you can do that. I think it will encourage you. We're in James again this week. We're going through James. We're taking it chapter by chapter, not just doing the whole letter all at once. So go to James chapter 2. And let's talk today about faith and deeds because there is a balance. There is a connection between faith and deeds. Let's just read chapter 2 and then uh, we'll go back and look through it and just talk about a few ideas from it. James chapter 2, in verse 1, he writes, My brothers, it's almost like a reintroduction in a way, but he he begins over talking again. He talks about um, the relationship of the church with itself and with others as well. He said, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is not the rich who is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they, are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that without faith, deeds is useless? Was not your ancestor, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. And as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let's pray together.
Father, we uh, come to this time of our worship service where we look into your word and we seek, Father, to hear your voice speaking to us. We seek, Father, your wisdom, your guidance, your direction. We seek your presence in our daily lives. We do want to walk closer to you, Father, and we pray that we do that through Jesus Christ. We pray we do that through your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that we have such a relationship with you that no matter what's going on in the world around us, we are so solid, so comfortable in our relationship with you, Lord, that we are never shaken, not by the world and what the world can do. I, Father, I just want to thank you again that no one in the church family or my own personal family has come down with the, the, the virus. I'm so grateful for that. I know there have been others who have had it. So we pray, Father, that you would continue to protect and watch over us as a church and your people. We pray, Father, you would use this church, Cornerstone and Lawrence, to share the gospel, to tell people the truth about who Jesus is and what he has done for them and, and what you want to do in their lives. And I just pray this morning, Lord, you'll just give me some, something to say that will share, to share, that will encourage your people, Father, today. I'm sure many feel alone. Father, there are times we all feel alone, but we know that you're with us. We know that you're always there with us. And we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was not jo he was Joseph and Mary's son. He was not just Mary and, and, and God's son. Jesus was, Ma was Mary and God's son. So he's the half-brother of Jesus. And he was a patriarch, really, of the early church. He was a leader in the church of Jerusalem. They used to call him camel knees because his knees were so, uh, over, uh, so covered over with calluses from praying that they call him camel knees. And um, he was a great man of faith, but he also came from the Jewish religion. So he had aspects of the law, and that's what we see here in this letter. He wrote this letter to Jewish followers of Jesus when the church was just getting started, and most of the, Jew the church back then was Jewish. At the very beginning, it was pr pretty much all Jewish. And so he related the Old Testament law to faith in Jesus Christ to show Jewish Christians how to live by faith and still honor the law. And they can still do that. They don't live by the law. A, a saved Jewish person does not live by the law. They honor the law, but they don't live by it. They live by faith in Christ, same as you and I. As Gentiles, we're not Jewish, so we don't practice the law in the same way that Jewish people do. We don't have the dietary rules and things like that, but um, we have uh, faith in Jesus Christ, the same Savior they have or can have. So James's letter has a balance, a very good balance of both works and faith. And there's a reason why he puts works in there and explains it. He never goes so far into works, though, as to do away by salvation by faith. He never does that. He just says the two go together. That if we have faith, we'll also have works. And what Jesus or what James reminds me of is this. We do good works. We do good deeds because we're saved not to be saved. Would you agree with that? Yeah, would you say that? Amen? Yeah, we do good works because we're saved, not to be saved. And we have to be careful also of this, that we don't do good deeds thinking that God owes us something. Whatever we do for God, it's not that He owes us something after that. Matter of fact, we owe God. We owe God for our salvation. We owe God for His Son, Jesus Christ, giving His life for our sins. We owe God our obedience. So when we do good works, it ought to be out of an obligation of being called to do that by God and a sense of salvation. So we're not saved by good works. We do good works because we're saved. And the problem is today is some Christians believe that if I do this for God, God owes me something back. The prosperity gospel preachers will say, hey, sow a seed of faith. What does he mean by that? 
He means, hey, you give some money and God will give you even more money back. Well, he might do that. I don't know. Um, he's always taking care of my family and I, as long as we've tried to be faithful and been Christians. But we don't give our tithe and offerings out of the sense of obligating God. We do it because that's just what God wants us to do. We know that God calls us to do that, so we do that. We don't have a sense of obligating God to us. That's, that's, that's wrong. We shouldn't be doing that. We're supposed to do good deeds to honor God in Jesus' name. That's why we do good deeds. In John 5, verse 23, Jesus said this, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. So see, what we do in Jesus' name, we do to honor Him and to honor God the Father. And there's no obligation. There's only obedience. In his book called Man's Search for Meaning, psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl, uh, he was a psychiatrist, and he wrote, a book, he wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning, and it's a book about existential, the existential vacuum. Um, existential vacuum is this idea of no purpose in life. And we're seeing that our culture begin to live this way, that there's no purpose for life, really, no altruistic, no third or objective purpose for life, so I'm just going to live my life however I want. And look at our country today, our world is falling apart. People have this sense that there's no purpose for life. And he experienced that sense in the concentration camps of World War II. In, in a life with no purpose, you lose meaning. If in a life with purpose, you can do anything. That's why some people survived through those terrible times in the concentration camps, and some didn't. He watched Jewish men in the concentration camps give up when they lost hope of having any meaning in life because they just suffered and suffered on and on. Year after year, they had nothing to hold on to. They had no religion. They had no God. They had nothing. They'd lost it all. And so they had an existential vacuum. And because they had nothing to hold on to, no purpose or meaning in life, they simply laid down and died. Thankfully, Viktor Frankl didn't do that. He kept his faith in God as a Jewish man. And he began to think about how do I help people overcome these terrible things in life. James tells us that faith isn't something we hold on to. We don't hold on to faith. James tells us that faith is how Jesus holds on to us. Yeah. Faith is how Jesus holds on to us. We have our faith in Him. So we're hoping in Him, we're trusting in Him to hold us upright, to keep us going in this world. Point number one on your outline this morning. Hope you have a notepaper at home, pencil. Point number one, James said, our faith is seen in what we do for others. Even as Christians, our faith is seen in what we do for others. Verse 14, what good is it, James says, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you will keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Here James is balancing out that works and faith together. They're like a team of horses pulling a heavy wagon in tandem together. The early church is known. It was known for taking care of people. The early church took care of people when nobody else did. The Roman culture, in the Roman culture, if you had a child that you didn't want, you could take that child out in the woods and you could abandon that child. I got a book of, uh, about that. How the Romans would take children and maybe they were deformed or maybe they were, um, 
they had some physical disability or they were Down syndrome or whatever, or if it was a girl and they wanted a boy or a boy and they wanted a girl, they'd take that child and they would band it out in the country. Christians would go around and look for kids and take them home with them and adopt them. They'd save those little babies. Why? Because they knew they were supposed to take care of other people. The early church was known for taking care of people. It was known for taking care of its own people. After Jesus ascended into heaven, the apostles began to preach as Jesus told them to preach and leading the church and sharing the gospel. And the church began to grow and grow and grow because of the gospel. And there was people in need. Everywhere the church spread, they found more people in need. And the apostles led the church, the early church, to select men called deacons. And those men served the church by helping people in need the ones who needed help the most. Those men were given responsibility to care for people like widows. And they were able to use the church resources. They had free resources they could use that the church gathered together and let these deacons use to serve people. It was part of their ministry. And so that's what they did. They helped people. Look at verse 15 and 16. James says, Suppose a brother or a sister, that's a Christian, not just a blood brother, but another Christian, another Christian brother, another Christian sister as well, food, without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? What good is your faith if you do nothing with it? What James is saying is our faith is seen in what we do for others. Good meat, good works, good deeds is meant to illustrate our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus did good works. He did work, good works all the time. He fed people, didn't he? 5,000. 4,000 with fish and bread, with just a few fish and bread. He fed those people. He healed people, helped them to walk, helped them to straighten up, healed their diseases like leprosy and other things like that. Men and women, it didn't matter to him. He comforted people in their grief and in their struggles. Think of Mary and Martha when Lazarus died. He comforted them. He cried with them. And we're to do the same. We're to do just what Jesus did. Now, this is more difficult today because of the epidemic, right? It's hard to, to, do, to be around other people. We're going through this virus thing, and, and we're told we have to socially distance. We have to, to isolate ourselves more. So it's harder to see what some of our people need, what they're going through, and it's harder to help those who have those needs and who need the help the most. I get that. But we can all reach out to each other. How many of you here have a phone? Everybody got a phone? Everybody got a, a phone? Yeah, I got a phone. How many of you have a computer or a, te or a uh, man, what do you call those things? Laptop, yeah, or a laptop or a pad, iPad or whatever, some means of communication. We can all reach out to each other in the church. We can all reach out to each other, call each other, see how we're doing. We ought to do that. We ought to text or email. We can all communicate in some way to other people in the church. Pray with them over the phone. Or say a prayer in that text. Share your resources if you have something extra to share with them. Right now in the church, we have a few items left over from the food pantry. Mainly it's vegetables and things like that out in the foyer. Anybody here wants some vegetables, just take them home. Just take them home. We want to get rid of this stuff. We don't want them to expire. We want to, and we want them to be used. So take those things home if you want to. We can share. We can take care of each other. We can reach out that way. The early church did this. They did it everywhere it went. Wherever the church spread throughout the ancient world, the early church spread. It always helped people in need. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 13, Paul said this. He told the church in Corinth, he said, 
because of the service by which you proved yourselves, meaning their faith in Jesus, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. The church in Corinth reached out and helped mainly the Jews in Jerusalem who were going through a famine. And they helped people. They helped others as well. They sent money to Paul to help him to be able to, to minister in Jesus' name. As a Baptist church, we're a, a Baptist church. We're a Southern Baptist church. We, we, we reach around the world with a cooperative program. Did you know that? Cooperative program. This is, this is money that we give every month, a percentage out of the tithes and offerings you give uh, to this church. It goes out around the world through the cooperative program sends missionaries. It also feeds people. It digs wells in Africa and other places like that. It takes medicine with doctors. It does all kinds of things. It educates people. So the cooperative program is one of the ways that we as Baptists help people all around the world. And we give a percentage every month into that fund to help people come to faith in Christ, to help people in other parts of the world. And we can be doing things like that here in this church as well. We do that here through our own church, by trying to help each other. Look at verse 17 again. James says in verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. One of the problems with the day, with the church today, and I see this, not necessarily with Cornerstone, but I do see this in many churches on, on the Internet and in other things, other, other blogs and things like that, is the balancing of faith and works. Good deeds cannot be forced. I can't make you do a good deed. I can guilt trip you. I can manipulate you. But for a good deed to be a good deed for you, you have to do it on your own. And quite honestly, that's what I'd rather do. I'd rather God lead you to do something for your, for your brothers and sisters in Christ or for your neighbor at home or whoever because that's what he wants you to do, not because I think you ought to do it. Works must be done freely or it's not good deeds. But good deeds can be evidence of our faith, and I believe that's what James is saying here. He's saying, look, you do these things because you're called to do it, and you do it to honor God, and you do it to honor Jesus. So I believe that's exactly what James is saying about works and faith. Now he continues with the idea of belief in the next verse. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, you believe there is one God? Good. Even the, the demons believe that and shudder. Have you ever thought that the, the demons believe in God too? Have you ever thought about that? They do. James says even the demons believe in God. Point number two on the outline this morning. Even demons believe in God too. So belief or knowledge is not the thing here. We're back to faith again. Now, demons believe in God, in, but not in quite the same way you and I do as Christians. They believe in God. They believe God exists. They know God exists. They're absolutely convinced God exists. There's not a doubt in their mind that God exists. They know God exists. They know that God's in control. So demons know God in ways you and I don't. They're more knowledgeable about God. They know His power. They've experienced His power more than we have. And why is that? It's because they are fallen angels. Demons are fallen angels. Angelic beings who follow Satan in rebellion against God. They sinned against God. They were created by God, just like all the angels were. They spent time in God's presence. They sang His praises, yet they turned on Him in rebellion. So mere knowledge doesn't save anyone. 
Mere knowledge doesn't save anyone, not even angels. And this is a huge problem for our people today in America. People say, believing in God is enough. I just believe God exists. That's enough. I believe God exists. I try to do good. They believe that God's a higher power. That's good too. But is that enough to save them? No. Belief is not quite the same as faith. You can believe something and not trust in it. I believe that could be true. See? Or I have faith that that's true. When Jesus was on earth, when he walked this world, he forced demons to leave people they possessed. And those demons often expressed their knowledge of who Jesus is. In Mark 5, verse 7, the demons shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Man, Jesus encounters this man who's possessed, and the demon recognized Jesus for who he is, the Son of the Most High God. So faith in Jesus is what saves us. Not just knowledge or belief. You've got to have faith. But what does faith mean? What kind of faith are we talking about? Faith is not just an idea or a concept or an emotion. Faith is a 100% totally commitment to trust in something or someone. The Christian, Christian faith is trusting in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and being committed to Him to save you. Not being committed to your good works. You do the good works because you're saved. Don't forget that. You do that out of obedience, not to obligate God. So your faith in Jesus Christ of the New Testament is the basis for your relationship with God. Not mere knowledge. The fact that you say that you know God exists or there is a God, that's great, that's a good starting point, but you're not quite there yet. And I'm not judging you or being harsh. I'm just saying this is what the Bible teaches. You've got to have faith, for we are saved by faith through grace, not by works. So in mere knowledge, even, even the demons believe in God, but they lost their relationship with God when they turned against Him in rebellion. Then Jesus talks about, or James talks about living out our faith in God. Point number three on your outline this morning, look at it. James says our faith must be worked out. Must be worked out. And he uses the example of Abraham and Abraham's faith and how Abraham worked out his faith in God. Look at verse 20. He says, you foolish man, he's almost like he's writing this to a particular person, but really he's writing this to Christians. He says, you foolish man, do you want evidence of faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. He uses the example of Abraham. Abraham and his faith in God. You know, most of the time, most of the time, you and I are unaffected in our lives. We live unaffected lives. God doesn't seem to be doing a lot. We just, we don't see that or for whatever reason. We just kind of coast through life. We, next day is just another day, another day, another day. But there are moments in life when God will challenge our faith in Him. God will challenge our faith to grow us, to, to really get a hold of our attention, to really strengthen our faith. He challenges us to believe something that He calls us to do. He challenged Abraham's faith by asking Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. 
Isaac was the result of God's promise to Abraham and Sarah to have a child. Isaac was the child of promise that, that Abraham, when he's an old man, would have a child and be a father. That he would have an heir to take his name. And here God is asking Abraham, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son for me. I want you to give up your son for me. That's a challenge. Abraham must have been kind of just coasting along, thinking, well, things are good now. I have my son. God gave me my son. I'm good. But then God challenges him and challenges his faith. Let me ask you, what have you ever asked? What, have, what do you have that you've asked God to give you that you value the most? What is the one thing in this life that you have that God has given you that you value above everything else? I would say it's your salvation. Because it's, it's salvation is what changes your life. It's salvation that turns you in a totally different direction. At least it did me. It took me in a whole different direction in life and changed me and changed the way I live and changed my life. So I'd say salvation is our greatest gift from God. And salvation is God sacrificing His Son so that we can be forgiven and restored to a new relationship with Him. God asked Abraham to prove his faith, to prove his faith in God was genuine. And he had to work out his faith in his life. He called him to do something. He said, Abraham, I want you to obey me. I want you to prove your faith. And if Abraham had refused God, Abraham would have proven his faith was worthless. God's going to do that to us as well. There's always this challenge that we have. There's going to be this challenge come along. And God's going to want to know, are you going to trust me for this or not? You know, 11 years ago, we did that, didn't we? We took a massive step of faith as a church, and we bought land on the east edge of town to, buy, to build a building. And someday we're going to be on that, on that land in that building that we built. We're not there yet. But that was 11 years ago, and it seemed like a big, big leap of faith, didn't it? Remember that talk we had? Those, all those weeks we met, all those business meetings we had? And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for months and months. It was a big leap of faith. We took it. We stepped out. And God has seen us through all these years helping us pay those bills, the land loan, the taxes, the specials, all this stuff. He'll do that to us personally as well. He'll call us to do something. We'll think, man, that's a big thing you want me to do. I don't know if I can really do that. I don't know if I can live up to that. I remember when I felt the call to ministry, I really wrestled with that. Anna wrestled even harder than I did. We had to leave our home in Salina and move to Kansas City to go to seminary. And that was hard for the family. But God's carried us through and seen us through and, and blessed us all the, all the way. Always blessing us. God will call us. He'll challenge us. We'll get comfortable and He'll challenge us and challenge our faith. So He asked God, Abraham, prove your faith in me. Sacrifice your son. This is why Paul wrote this in Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. He said, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, and not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, take that step of faith. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, it'll challenge you. Yeah, God, God asks big things of His people. But we have to respond. Our faith demands it. Both James and Paul both taught that God works in us to make our faith stronger, to build us up, to make us and prove, it, prove to us 
through those challenging moments that our faith really is true. And we prove our faith to ourselves through obedience. When we obey God and, we, and He sees us through, we prove our, our own faith to ourselves. Philippians 1, verse 6 says, being confident, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. When God begins to work in your life, He won't go just halfway and stop. He wants to go the whole distance. He wants to go all the way. He wants to complete that job, that work in you, so that you can know Him closer and more intimately. So if you have faith in God and His Son, you'll want it to become stronger. You just will. It'll be something that you'll desire. You'll want it to become more and more sure. You'll want to be sure of yourself as a Christian. After all, we all want to be confident in what we believe, right? It's why people go to school. It's why people study to be confident in what they know and what they're going to do. Well, then point number four, James says this at point number four, our faith is justified by what God does in our lives. How many of you want God working in your life? Just say amen. Yeah, I think we all want God working in our life. God wants to work in our lives. James says our faith is justified by what God does in our life. Look, look at verse 23. <clears throat> verse 23 James says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Man, who doesn't want to be called God's friend, right? Isn't that true? Man, I want God for my friend. I want to be God's friend. I want God to be with me. When it comes to our relationship with God, belief is what matters, not knowledge. Now, I'm not saying knowledge is not good. Knowledge is good. Obviously, knowledge is good. So I'm not saying that knowledge doesn't serve a purpose but we don't rely on that. God requires that we act on the knowledge He gives us. That's why Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we want to walk with God in faith, not just knowing that God is there, but knowing that God is with us. And God requires that we act on the knowledge He gives us. Abraham knew God. He knew God intimately. He'd already met with God. He'd already encountered God. He had God's promise fulfilled, but he still had to act on his belief that he could trust God to be faithful. To be faithful to Abraham and give him his son Isaac. Faith can be defined this way. Write this down. Faith is defined as belief in action. Belief in action. That's what the Christian faith is all about. We are active as Christians in our faith. Because we believe in God and we trust in Him. Abraham's faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. What does the Bible mean by the word righteousness? Righteousness is a state of moral purity. That's simply what it is. It's basically just a state of moral purity. Was Abraham morally pure because he had a knowledge of God? No. No. And neither is anybody else. To say that I know God exists... For I believe God exists is not enough to be morally pure in God's sight. Abraham was credited by God to be righteous because he acted on his belief and faith in God. He put his faith into action. Abraham acted and God reacted. Look at verse 24 now. He says, there You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And this is where many people are failing today. People are beginning to, to think they can say they believe but never do anything with their belief or with their faith in God. 
But God demands that we be active in our faith, in our faith relationship with Him. We have to be active. We have to be reaching out to Him. We have to be engaging with Him. We have to be praying and speaking to Him. We have to be listening and obeying Him. Remember, faith is belief in action. So what does the Bible mean by the word justified? It means to be restored to a right moral relationship with God. That's all it means. It means to be restored to the relationship with God He wants to have with us. The only way to be restored to a right moral relationship with God is by faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, who God sent to the world to save the world. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. See, as believers, you are standing in the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? Amen? Yeah, that's great. Because we believe in Jesus and put our faith in Him, He forgives our sins. He makes us righteous in God's sight. We're still sinners, but we're sinners saved by faith in Jesus. We are justified with God because of Jesus Christ. Not because we know God or think that God exists, but because we have faith in His Son. Romans 10, verse 17, Faith comes through hearing the message of Christ and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. It's a lot to think about, isn't it? It's a lot to process, but it's really not that hard. We can break it down. How do you do that? How do you get justified? How do you get called righteous by God? You get it by making Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord. Remember, I've talked about that last week. You can't just make Jesus your Savior. You have to make Him your Lord as well. Meaning He guides your life. Meaning He's in control of your life. He calls you to do something, you do that. That's called being making Him your Lord. How do we do that? How do we make Him our Savior and Lord? The Bible tells us very clearly in Romans 10, verse 13, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Believe in your heart. You have to believe in your heart and you have to confess with your mouth. That's what you have to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to do that this morning. Those of you online, as well as those of us here in person, if you've never done this, if you want Jesus Christ to be your Savior and your Lord, you need to do this. And simply what you do is you just talk to God in a prayer, and you can do that, and I'll help you do that. So let's all bow together. Maybe you're, you're a Christian today. You've made that decision. You've followed Jesus. You've even been baptized, maybe. You've been to church for a long time. Maybe you know somebody in your family or a friend who doesn't know Jesus. I pray this. You pray for them as well. Or maybe today you're not a Christian. But you want to be one. So just bow your head with me and repeat this prayer after me. It's got to come from your heart and you have to mean it. Dear God, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I acknowledge to you that I need the salvation and the forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can give. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins and save me. Come into my life. Be my Savior and my Lord this day and every day I ask in your name. Amen. Hope you've done that. You did that online. If you've done that, please call the church office at 785-843-0442. I'd love to talk to you about what you do next. There's more to do in this Christian life than just saying that prayer. There's more to do. You've got to grow in your faith. You've got to stretch your faith. God's going to challenge your faith. So how do you meet those challenges? I want to help you do that as well. So we're going to stand. Anna's going to sing, lead us in singing a, a song. And we're going to have an invitation time as well. If you want to come forward and pray with me or you want to ask me a question about salvation or Jesus, I'd be glad to do that then. So you come forward as we sing.